0: I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. And this is my first time doing video. I'm doing video on Fireside and I'm broadcasting live from beyond in Chicago, which is this new holistic wellness space that I am now working in. So I'm going to be broadcasting a lot of my episodes from here now with Bruce Springsteen. I believe that's Bruce Springsteen. It might not be. Don't quote me. (laughs) Standing on top of my hat. Um, so thank you everybody for coming, and I'm so excited today to have Stacy Aronson on the show. Stacy relishes finding awe in everyday miracles and embracing self reinvention, thanks to self-taught graphic design skills and a heaping spoonful of universal magic. In 2011, after 20, she- 20 years in leadership roles, she began designing for book authors. Today Stacy is an established writer, ghostwriter, editor, book designer, and publishing partner who's been involved in the full or partial production of over 200 books. She delights in working with authors of multiple genres within her business. The Book Doctor is in and as and as a layout artist for She Writes Press. She lives with her soulmate Dana on Widley Island in Washington State and with their main coon Kitty, and scats of birds, deer, squirrel, and just nature. Raising and losing my remarkable teenage mother is Stacy's first solo publication. Welcome, mm-hmm. Stacy. Hi, everybody. If you haven't had a chance yet to find me on Fireside, you can find my, the link in my Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins, and then head on over to Fireside. Fireside has been an awesome platform. I'm really enjoying the opportunity to interview my guests live and have audience participation. So if you um, you can find the link in my bio on Instagram, you can follow me at fireside.com backslash Amy Robbins. Lots of ways to find me there and just join the conversation. You'll get alerted anytime I start a show. So head on over, check that out. Also, my Patreon page is up and running. A big thank you to everybody who has donated so far. I'm extremely grateful for your support. If you could donate, I would continue to be grateful for anybody who is able to contribute to supporting the show. And if you can't financially support the show, all I ask is that you maybe take a few minutes and rate and review the show. if you love it, and also share the show with your friends and family who you think might be interested, this is, I believe, our way of collectively raising the consciousness of the planet, which is something that we definitely need right now more than ever. Also, you can find me on YouTube if you want to watch the videos. Follow me on Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins, and of course, my newsletter Dr. Amy Robbins at. Um, com where you can sign up for that which I which I have not been great about but I promise I'm actually not going to make a promise but I'm going to really really try harder to be better about my newsletter I was consistent for a while and then summer hit and I decided I was going to take a little vacay so summer's over and I'm going to be back at it enjoy this week's show
1: Thank you. It's such an honor to be on the show with you. You know, I'm a huge loyal fan. Thank you. <laughs> show. So to be here is like it's a real magical, wonderful oh, gift for me. Thank you. And
0: you reached out to me. And what caught my eye about your story uh, was that you had this journey with your mother uh, that was a little bit unconventional. Uh, <laughs> yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And your journey has gone from you being born when she was just 16 to her recent death to what has continued to be your relationship after she has passed. So tell us a little bit about how you came into this world.
1: (laughs) Well, um, yes, my mom was 16 when she got pregnant. Actually, she was 15, technically. Um, And my feeling was I sort of swooped in, uh, chose my mom, and um, just felt that we needed to be back together again. And uh, sure enough, um, we ended up having a very interesting um, growing up period together. Um, Just to take you back really, really briefly, um, my grandparents insisted my parents get married. My dad was 19. They got married um, my, my mom got pregnant in May they got married in October I was born in February of 1969 and by the time their first anniversary rolled around they were already kaput because my mom was just too young too overwhelmed and so my dad was a wonderful dedicated father from the beginning I was very fortunate so even though my parents divorced before I was a year old I always had both of them um, but my 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 life with my mom was distinct because she was still a child herself. And uh, my grandparents were a huge part of my life. And so that was wonderful. My dad was a huge, stable, practical, responsible part of my life. That was great. But with my mom, it was more like I was sort of the little adult. She always said I was the one who came to, to this world as the older, wiser one of the two of us. And so I always felt that sense of kind of looking out for her. But I, I want to be clear here because it is it is unusual. I feel like there's kind of that, you, you know, you're born to a young parent. The parent's very maybe irresponsible, too young, just kind of not really taking the best care of the child or maybe just, you know, giving the child to the parents to raise or whatever. Um, but in my case, my mom really did take wonderful care of me. It's just that I was looking out for her too. And I always felt like an old soul or like I'd, I'd been here many times and it just felt right to me. So I never felt burdened. I never felt like, Oh gosh, you know, I'm a little kid and I'm having to take care of my mom. It never felt like that at all. It always just felt like this really interesting balance between me being the mom sometimes and her being the mom sometimes. But for the most part, we really had a relationship that was like equals. We were. We were buddies. Um, a lot of people would say that's dysfunctional, but somehow for us, it just was not. And, um, we just grew up as, as really close friends. And so even as a little kid, we had this very open, um, conversational relationship. We talked about everything. She, she didn't hide things from me. Um, she explained things to me. Um, I mean, yeah, she messed with my head sometimes <laughs> as I write about in the book. There's some funny stories. Um, but, you know, for the most part, we just had this wonderful relationship. And, and long before Gilmore Girls was ever on the air, my mom and I were essentially like the original Gilmore Girls in, in many, many ways because we did just have this wonderful friendship. What do you mean by that for people who don't know? Because I never watched Gilmore Girls. For oh, people okay, who don't, okay. But I did read your book, so I know <laughs> okay, what you okay. mean. But. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, well, Gilmore Girls came out in the year 2000. It was on for seven years. It was a wonderful show on the WB, very smart and funny. It was a dramedy, hour-long show with a 16-year-old mom who had a daughter. Uh, the daughter was very bookish, very adult-like, very responsible and conservative. And the mom was kind of the wild child. And that was totally my mom and me. So when the show came out, we, we were just so excited. It was like, what we're, we're being portrayed on a, on a hit show. Um, and there were certain things that weren't like our family. Um, the grandparents were very rich and snobby. My grandparents weren't like that, but there were a lot of parallels and there were actually even episodes of the show that paralleled things that my mom and I actually did. And so, um, that's, that's Gilmore Girls in a nutshell. (laughs) And, and Tell us a bit about
0: this sense of you and your mom having a soul contract. and um, and and some of the readings and the experiences that you had with people who said this to you, you know healers and people who you had readings with who said it does seem like you and your mother contracted something greater. And for people who don't know, what a soul contract is. I actually talk a lot about this in one of my very early episodes with Robert Schwartz. You can go back and listen to that. But basically the general concept is that we contract kind of our life before we get here. We contract with our family members what sort of difficulties and challenges and experiences we're going to have over the course of our lives to really grow our soul. And that if you believe this, that you believe that we all come into this world and we take on different roles and we play different roles, then what does that say and how do you think about the relationships in which you're in in your life? And I think, you know, so can you speak a little bit to your and your mom's soul contract and
1: how you saw that? As part of your relationship. Yeah, and thank you so much for explaining that because, you know, as a child growing up, like I said, I felt this innate sense that I was sort of meant to be my mom's daughter and sometimes my mom's mother and look out for her. And it never felt weird to me, it felt totally meant to be. But as a little kid, even though I was fairly precocious, <laughs> I couldn't articulate that. I mean, I did not have a memory of that or anything like that. But growing up, my mom was very open to, um, you know, she she read Edgar Casey and she was interested in astrology and um, she just always uh, always believed in past lives and and I so I did too and it just made a lot of sense to me and so. Uh, we would say things like, oh, I'm sure we've been together before. And we would muse about, I wonder if, you know, I was your mom before because I'm so like easily your little mommy. And she'd go, oh, I'm sure you were. Um, and we'd, we'd wonder about it. Well, um, many years later, uh, around like 2015 or 16, somewhere in there, um, I had a client who is a gifted, intuitive and medium. And she and I became very close friends. And uh, my mom wanted to have a reading with her. And so they had a phone reading. It was supposed to be an hour. Of course, I was like waiting. I couldn't wait for her to call and tell me what the reading was about. And my mom didn't really know going in what she wanted to know. She just felt like she wanted to do it. And one of the things that came out was that um, Susan, our friend, she saw us very clearly in a past life together. It was way back in medieval times. We were twins, twin girls. And Hmm. she felt very strongly that, Back then, it was like a curse or definitely unfavorable to have two girls or twin girls. And so we were kept in a tower, and only one of us was ever let out. And the sense I got was that whoever was letting us, letting me out or one of us out thought, thought they were always letting the same one of us out. But we were very crafty and resourceful, and we would swap places so that we could relieve the burdens for each other, so that no, not, not one of us was ever trapped. And so... Um, and the they other, couldn't tell the difference because you were twins. Right, right. And so um, the, the other, the, the big thing that came from that, I mean, that's interesting in itself, but was that we had made a pact back then to always find each other from here to eternity. Oh. And that just grabbed my mom and me so tightly because we felt so intertwined and so meant to be. And so like we'd been together before, even though we didn't have a memory of it. So that was a really cool confirmation to get. And, and I said, well, did Susan have any other, you know, past life visions of us? And she said, no, but that doesn't mean anything that, that, that was just our one reading um, that came through, but that doesn't mean we haven't been together many other times before. So um, what was interesting to me was when my mom was relaying this story to me on the phone after the reading, I said, you know, my mom kind of joked and said, you know, I can kind of imagine that the last time we were together, whenever that was, and we know that time technically in the spiritual realm doesn't exist. Right, Uh, right. But anyway... Whatever we might consider the last time we were together, it was like, okay, you know, we're not going to be apart for very long. I'll see you as soon as I can. And so my mom has sex one time, her very first time, and I just sort of swoop in. I'm like, oh, here's my chance to be back with you. And so I swoop in, you know, and I, and she's pregnant and, you know, there I am. Uh, as a 16 year old, she's got me back. Um, of course, we didn't know that on a human level at the time. My mom was just, terrified. But very, very soon after the terror wore off, she was very happy to have me. And the other part of that was my mom was adopted. So she had no other biological connection in her life but me. And that was a very, very um, powerful connection for her um, in particular as well. Well, so, and yeah. you
0: really did. I mean, I know you say I raised my mom, <laughs> but you really felt like sisters. And people often mis- mistook you for sisters as you got older because you were 15 years apart, <laughs> which, is, which is entirely
1: possible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we were always mistaken for sisters. My mom was very beautiful and she looked very young. She always looked young. And so, yeah, we really didn't look alike. Um, our facial features are very different, but because we're the same height and we had the same body and we had the same mannerisms and similar voices and similar personalities, people always thought we looked alike and we'd laugh. We'd go, well, I don't know. I don't know where that's coming from, but it was, we always took it as a compliment. Um, and, and yeah, people would kind of be amazed that we were mother and daughter and we were so Close and so friendly and just so easygoing and and we had so much fun together and because honestly Amy we we never argued we never fought we I mean we might disagree on some things sometimes but it was like oh okay you see it that way and I see it that way um, mm-hmm. we always respected each other and most of the time we were just goofy and silly. And then when we had serious conversations, we really listened to each other. We always loved each other deeply while we said, I love you. So it it was, you know, it's unconventional in the way of, you know, being raised by a teenage mom and me raising her too. But for some people they've said to me, wow, I, I can't even imagine having that with my mom. I can't imagine never fighting with my mom or, or, you know, never having, you know, like, ill words and then not speaking or, you know, something like that. I just can't imagine having such a a wonderfully synchronistic relationship all your life. So that was a real gift for both of us, too.
0: Yeah. And it was so I mean, you and I talked a little bit before, but one of the things that I was so struck by as you shared your story is that there there would be often there, there may be people who have experienced the life that you have who didn't turn out the way you did. I mean, it wasn't Mm. like a straight shot, right? Like your mom was married several times. She had several men in and out of her life. You lived with your mom, you moved a lot, then you moved back with your dad, then your dad got remarried. And that was a tricky relationship. But to me, it seemed like there was such an intense love always that never faltered. And that was such a beautiful part of this story. It seemed, and that love did feel, as you were describing it, deeper than just this lifetime.
1: Oh, thank you so much for saying that, and, and for giving the audience a bit of a of a recap of those those growing up years, because I think that's helpful for people to understand. My mom and I didn't always live together. I had age nine through nineteen uh, with my dad, basically, uh, except for one year, and. Um, and yes, it, it was the kind of bond that was unshakable. Um, there was just something about us. We had a, sp- a certain us-ness that I, I, that's what I like to say that a lot of people were like, Oh, Bree and Stacy are like in their little shtick again. Everybody, you're not going to get it. That's their deal or whatever. You know, we, we just, we spoke in movie lines. We, we, um, we did characters with each other. We did accents, silly things. I'd call her up out of the blue and just pretend to be a salesperson with an accent. And she'd go on with it for the longest time, just because it was funny. And so we, we laughed a lot. And, um, and you know i think going back to to what you mentioned about the soul contract is um that always felt like it was there and yet i think a lot of people maybe don't know how to articulate it like i've heard some people say yes i have a certain special connection with one of my children and you, of course you love all of your children, but mm-hmm. there might be like an extra soul connection with one of your children. And, and that may be hard to talk about because you don't want your other children to think that you don't have a special bond with them too. In our case, I was her only child. Um, right. And so it, it was very easy for us to be in that space as kind of just the two of us. And even when later when she married and had gotten pregnant and she, she ended up losing the baby, but I was actually floored. I was like, I never imagined you'd have more children. <laughs> like I always thought I'd be your one and only. And it ended up that that, that was the case, and she was actually very happy about that. But um, but yes, that underlying bond—it just is something that it's it's hard to articulate because for us it was just something so deep, and I think that we've had it for such a long time, for so many lifetimes. Mm-hmm. And you know, we will absolutely be together again. And she's still around me a lot. So we'll get get into that. But yeah, and I just want to speak to that
0: notion of your children. And certainly I think, There can be that. And and how I sort of think about it is, okay, what did I contract with this child? And maybe Mm -hmm. I contracted with this same experience with one of my other children, like that one was going to come out and there was going to be sort of that deeper bond. And it is like, does that mean that I have to work harder to connect? Or does that mean I have a different lesson to learn with this child than I might with the one that I have sort of a, a different contract with, right? Like, why am I, why is this child here? Why did this child choose me? Why did I choose this child? Why did we choose this time? This is a whole (laughs) big conversation that we're gonna, that we're just scratching the surface on. But I I do want to move to sort of your mom's ends of life because we're talking about her in the past. She obviously passed away. Um, Take us through, she was sick for a while. You didn't know she had MS, which she treated, sort of unconventionally more holistically and then was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and then you sort of really worked to try to get her well, but it nothing, nothing really worked. So tell us about that.
1: Yeah. In August of 2019, um, my mom ended up having a, an intestinal obstruction that she went into emergency for. They removed it. Um, well, sort of. <laughs> um, what ended up happening was she had to have a colostomy. Um, the, the tumor that was there was believed to be cancerous. Um, so basically, he rerouted the colon out of her body and left the tumor there because he was concerned about her making it through the surgery. Hmm. So he thought, let me save her life, and then we'll deal with the cancer. Well, my mom and I have a very holistic approach about life. We, um, we're we not big pharma people. We're not really too much of a Western medicine people. And that is not to say that there aren't good things about Western medicine. We have the best emergency medicine imaginable. If you you know get in a horrible accident or God forbid, lose a limb or something, I mean, we're second to none in, in putting people back together. Um, so I am not denigrating all of Western medicine when I say that. However, we believe very strongly in the body's ability to heal itself. That's why we have an immune system. That's why when we cut a finger, it heals all by itself magically. That's what our bodies were meant to do. And so uh, we, we approached the cancer the same way. Um, and really we both understood that underlying that tumor was emotional wounding that my mom just really hadn't healed. But that was going to be kind of a long road. So initially we looked at the physical part and we opted to go to a cutting edge holistic cancer center down in Mexico, a very reputable one. Um, it was an excellent program. I got to spend 10 days of her three weeks with her and, and it actually did help to shrink the tumor in the colon, which was where it was. She also had some cysts and possible, a uh, possible tumor in the liver. Um, and they did appear to shrink when they did the tests at the end. Um, however, even though they touched on the emotional part, and, and that is a huge part of what they do, there's only so much time for the counselors there to really address anything. And so it's kind of more like helping you to see what could be creating this tumor so that you can go home and then work on that. And you as a psychologist, I'm sure, appreciate that very much that people have wounding sometimes, you know, from very early childhood. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they don't even know how to recognize it or articulate it or know how it's informing their lives. But indeed it does. And so my mom being adopted, um, having a difficult relationship with my grandma, finding her birth mother, initially being rejected by her, um, eventually kind of having a, a phone friendship, but she would never meet her. So there was a lot of like rejection and feeling like a burden and things that she just didn't really get past. And even though I tried to help her with lots of modes of, you know, how she could do that, um, she just had a lot going on. Uh, and she, she just didn't really get to that place of fully focusing on that healing. And I believe that's why the tumors never could fully disappear. And what ended up happening is the tumor spread into her abdomen And so when she was feeling ill again, she did have months of feeling good, and then she started feeling ill again. And long story short, uh, she was told that surgery would kind of unleash the cancer and make it worse for her. And she decided that she would go home with hospice and that she was resolved that this was the end of her life. Now, my mom was only 68. And as you can imagine, growing up with a mom who's like a kid – I always thought, oh my gosh, we're going to be like this amazing mother and daughter where she's 90 and I'm like 74 and we're still still kicking together. Um, I always thought I'd have her longer than any of my friends had their mothers. And so this really hit me hard. I I didn't see it coming. Um, But she told me she was resolved, that she was tired, that she just didn't think that she could try any more holistic protocols or – she certainly wasn't going to go with any Western protocols. And so, uh, I found this out on September 7th and I flew in on September 8th. My mom was living in New Mexico and I was in Washington state. So, uh, my partner and I flew in and she came home the next day and that pretty much began her final eight days of life, um, that I would share with her. And so, for me, and and I would say this for anyone listening who's maybe been faced with this or maybe faced with it in the future, is I had felt like I had tried so many ways to help her get better. And when she said, I'm okay, this is my decision, um, and I'm okay about it, it was hard to take that in. But at the same time, I felt like I had to respect that. Mm-hmm. and And that the best thing I could do was to keep being us as much as we could for as long as we had. Cause of course I didn't know exactly how long we were going to have at the time. Um, and to just honor her decision. And, uh, and that was tough, but at the same time, it felt like the right thing to do. Um, on one level, and on a, on a on a soul level, it felt like the right thing to do. On a human level, I was still struggling with, is there still more I can do for her? Because I didn't want her to die and think I could have done more. And I think a lot of people go through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I talk about that in the book. Um, I, I definitely talk about that waffling that I was going through and the being unsure of how much more to try uh, when she was telling me that she was done. Um, so that that was a little bit tricky to navigate, but then something really magical happened. So before we dive into that,
0: uh, mm-hmm. I want to just address this emotional piece because obviously this is what I do. And I think to your point, for your mom at 68 or 67 to start looking at all this emotional stuff that she had collected over the course of years probably seem like an insurmountable task at that point. Mm -hmm. So my advice to everybody, I don't give advice often, but my advice is deal with the issues now. (laughs) Because you don't want to wait and then be in the place where it feels like, you know, you have to sort of surrender. I mean you do have to surrender at some point, but that that there isn't it, it just feels like it would be too much to take on. And And that's hard, you know, and she did have a lot of emotional, emotional healing that probably had to take place. But the cancer had already really taken hold.
1: Right, right. And I'm so glad you said that because it is so important for us to heal our inner wounds, not to wait, Uh, especially now with the world turning upside down. It's super important for us to heal those wounds and and have discernment and be Mm -hmm. clear about decisions as we move forward. And so, thank you for bringing that up because I really believe that that was the source of my mom's illness. And it's not so much that the holistic path failed her; I think it it did a lot for her. In fact, I you know I, I got confirmation that it did a lot for her. But it, it, there was a much bigger component there that mm-hmm. needed healing that that didn't get addressed. So. So let's
0: talk for a few minutes, and for everybody in the audience, we're on fireside, so I will give you the opportunity to come on up when we're done and ask a question or two, if you have them, of Stacy or myself. But as your mom neared death, you had several experiences where she was still alive in her, she was still alive. like Her physical body was still alive, but her ethereal body or her soul body was coming in and out of her physical body. And I've heard that before. I've had guests on who've talked about Mm -hmm. this, but you got, and I've actually experienced it with loved ones who have passed where I've been able to connect with their soul, even though they're still there. Like you can, I can talk to them even though they're not conscious and they've Mm -hmm. shared things with me and shared how they want things to be happening in the room and what they want when they're unable to speak. But what was your experience and confirmation
1: around her soul moving between these worlds? Well, when she first came home, she was still very much herself and we were still bantering a little bit. It was a little more somber, obviously, but at the same time, I was still just trying to keep her environment light and and happy around her as much as I could and then by the next day, um, she was already sleeping a little more and I could see there was a shift. And, um, and then by the third day, there was more sleeping and, and less awake. And then when she was awake, you know, she would, could maybe like be herself, but, um, definitely more serious, more tired, a little less uh, connected or something. And, I wasn't sure if it was just that she was very tired and that she wasn't eating. Um, because basically when you come home like that, or at least in her case, it was about, she was just going to waste away, which is a very hard thing for a daughter Mm. to think about. But that was essentially what was going to happen. And so I thought, well, this is why she's not getting much nutrition. Um, she was getting very little of anything. And so, um, what happened was she was having, um, these situations where she, she would say something to me like, I'm dying, aren't I? Or I'm feeling a little scared. And it was like, oh my gosh, I thought she was okay. And now she's like, I'm a little scared. And, and so I was thinking, well, okay, well, do you do you not think it's your time? And she's like, I don't know. And I'm, I'm like, oh, my gosh, well, now if it's not your time, am I supposed to try to find you another protocol? Or re- do you want to get on mm-hmm. something after all? Um, and so it was kind of like, well, maybe, you know. And so it, it sent me into that spiral again of is there something right. more I can do?
2: And that's um, when
1: I think we get
0: away from our own soul, right? It's like we, we move right into – human mode which is like let me fix this let me make it better i don't want to let go
1: yes and i and i felt like if she's scared and now she's suddenly thinking it's not her time then of course she's going to want me to do something if i can and so i was really struggling with this and i i was desperately wishing i could talk to my friend susan who knew what was going on with my mom But she was in a space of healing herself from something major. And so I didn't want to break into that space at the time. But I was longing for her because I was longing for answers. And within 30 minutes of me feeling that, I get a text. And it's from Susan. And she says, are you okay?" And I thought, how does she know? (laughs) Well, she's a medium and an intuitive. That's how she knows. But basically what happened was she said, I've been kind of concerned because I got a visit from Brie about an hour ago. And uh, I thought actually she may have transitioned completely. I wasn't completely sure because on a soul level, she was fully with me. She basically appeared to me. She told me she was, um, you know, not happy about the predicament she was in, but she was figuring out her plan B. Um, And she, you know, went on to To share certain things with me, um, basically, I'm going to just read you a a little bit. But like, for example, she said, um, I'm whole, thoughtful with full faculties, only somewhere different, slightly elevated on another plane, right across the veil. I think in my own voice. I hear myself without using words. It's rather cool and expanded. Um, I didn't think it would come to this. I fully expected to be a helper there. Now I realize the possibility of working from an expanded space. So much possibility. Mm. Only not many can appreciate this perspective. They're so set on remaining, but I must reconfigure. And I thought, wow. And then she went on to say that she's the mist that hovers just beyond my reach, much lower than the clouds, but above my head that she was gathering and swirling around me. Now, I didn't know when exactly she meant that was going to happen, but she said that. And she said, I'm still here, just invisible to the seeing eye. I promise it's me, meaning if I see the mist, it's her. And she promised, was promising me that it was her. And she said, I want to stay, if only I could capture this expansiveness and keep his wisdom on your plane. What joy I can spread knowing what I have here." Now I have to figure out how to use it from another angle. And then she went on to tell me more directly to me, which I do have in the book about how she, you know, how she appreciated my presence and, and that kind of thing. Um, but basically, yeah, it was at the end, she basically said, tell Stacy that I'm reconfiguring. Same <laughs> life to live, but now to plan B or maybe C. I'm working it out. It's going to be grand just you wait and see. And that, Amy, I mean, I get chills reading it. I have chills <laughs> as you read it, for sure. Yeah. Because Whoa. it filled me with so much
0: hope for what was actually happening. And this and, notion um, of reconfiguring. Yes. Right? Like we're just sort of reconfiguring our, I don't even want to say self, because self is—is is feels like a human experience, but our soul in that way. And she was like, I mean, it's, that's
1: remarkable. It was remarkable. And, and if you recall what I said right before Susan reached out to me, I was, should I get her on a new protocol? I was on the computer researching. Right. I was trying to figure out what was the right thing to do. Let her go or try to help. And at the very end of this uh, conversation with Susan, she said, um, and then at the end, she said, you did great to me. You did great. And you've done all you could. Hmm. And to me, that was, what yeah, was my answer. What It, it was. It was. Yeah. I knew right away, stop trying to figure this out. This is not a rescue mission. This is just about being with her, being present. And I really wanted it to be that. I didn't want to have the conditioned response to losing a parent or losing any loved one with just a lot of weeping and and lamenting. And I wanted to just really be in the moment and not project ahead to what was it going to look like when the end came exactly and how was she going to look or how was she going to be. I just wanted to be in the moment Mm -hmm. of, of every part of what this was going to be. And so having that information, and not even so much from the other side, but from my mom when she was in just the soul space was remarkable and so when my mom woke up that afternoon i shared it with her because i thought that it would give her comfort as well and i asked her if she remembered anything about it and she said no and <laughs> so i told her everything and she said like wow that's really interesting and i said does it make you feel like more comforted about where you're going and what you're going to be doing and she said yeah i guess it does and so she was still kind of like you know, in between the, the human mm-hmm. and the soul space. But um, I think it did give her some comfort. And I think also I was comforted and that was comforting right. because she knew that it was very hard on me and she felt really bad about that. But I think being able to tell her, you know what, like I'm I get that this is just a transition Mm -hmm. and thinking about you doing something, you know, some grand adventure that you're, you're not going to be far away from me, which was another thing that came through in that conversation was she was going to be just across the veil, not very far from me. Um, it just made me realize that, you know, if I had a choice and, and I think this is an important thing to say because there's so many ways that we can lose people. So many devastating ways. And that's not to say that any loss isn't devastating. But when I thought about it, I thought, you know, my mom could have grown old and not remembered me. She could have been in a terrible accident. She could have died in a surgery and and just been gone abruptly. Mm-hmm. Um, she could have had a long, drawn out, painful illness that I had to watch her go through or help her go through. And when I looked at it and realized what we had, which was My mom was still lucid. She was managing pain. She was, you know, in and out of the soul space, but she was still there. I was with her. We could still talk to each other. And, you know, we had the luxury of being at home together with very little intervention or necessity from the outside in terms of Mm. hospice. And I thought, you know, if I had thought about it, if, I, if someone said, well, how would you want to lose your mom if you had a choice? Um, that's a hard thing to think about. But if you, if you do think about it, it's like, well, wow, I think this is what I would choose. And oh my gosh, this is a miracle that I'm getting this. This is my last experience on earth with my mom. And this is what I'm receiving in terms of how that process is going to happen. And I need to be grateful for that. Mm -hmm. I need to see the divinity in that. And I chose to see the divinity in it. Now that's not to say that I didn't have human emotion. I think it's super important to, to say here that having your human emotion is extremely important. Um, it's not to say I didn't cry that I wasn't having a difficult time at times, but it did help me a lot to look at the divine perspective, um, of our relationship and what it had meant to both of us and how it was going to continue. It just was going to be in a different form.
0: So can you, before we open it up for questions, can you just give us a few tidbits of how your relationship has continued and what your relationship looks like now with your mom?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, one of the big things is numbers. Um, and I'll tell you briefly, this is very, very cool. With any two people born in different years, when you are the age of that person's birth year, that person is the age of your birth year. So my mom was born in 1952. I turned 52 this year, which meant she was going to turn 69, which is my birth year. Now, she didn't quite make it to that, to that, <laughs> but this year being our birth year flips. Is that always <laughs> the way it is? It's always That's the always- way it is. It's always the way it is. I figured it out um, at so some point. That's so cool. I know and I've always been a numbers person. I've always loved numbers. And so when I figured that out, I'm like, oh my god. Wait, but how does that work so so like if so you could get into the hundreds, they would be like a hundred and one. Yes, yes. If you're if you're born in separate different centuries, then the person's gonna have to be a hundred and something, a hundred and whatever the number is, before But even the same centuries. The same century same century, different years. Like um, obviously my mom was born. Before me, yes. Yeah, so, what year was your mom born? I'm not. She
0: was. I, I'm. Don't put me on the spot with math. I'm <laughs> okay. so bad at math. It's I'll like do the embarrassing. math part for
1: you. I could do the math part. For I, you, I was but,
0: born. This is. This means I have to say hold. Oh no, you don't. You don't have in, to.
1: Just give me your mom's year.
0: I don't know because I could oh, only you do from subtracting my. Oh, year, oh, oh gotcha, year. gotcha, gotcha. Okay, okay. I won't put you on the spot for that. Okay, but we could just use mine. No, so. I don't care. I'm. She <laughs> was born in 77. I was born in 77. Okay. Which makes me forty-four. Everybody. Oh well, you, which is you, a really cool you, number.
1: But. Yes, it is. Yes, it is.
0: <laughs> and you look fabulous. So thank you. So, um, she, so your she mom, was,
1: she's sixty-nine. So, no, she's, she's sixty-nine. She's Seventy. Okay, so when your mom is seventy-seven, which is your birth year, yeah, you're going to be the age of her birth year, whatever that is. Okay, so seventy-seven okay. minus twenty-five. Yes. Okay. okay so so yeah not to take up too much time with that mm-hmm. but it is pretty cool okay <laughs> so this is to establish the fact that 52 is very important to both my mom and me because it's her birth year and it's my age this year and so i get a lot of 52s i get them in all kinds of ways i will i will be drawn to pick up my phone and i look and my batteries at 52% or it's the 52 minute on the hour or I'm drawn to read a particular book on my shelf that's been sitting there for years and I've never read it. This happened to me twice. I got a book. I opened it up. And the on the very first page was 1952 was when the book mm. was taking place. Um, you know, it was like being drawn to certain things where there's a 52, there's a 1952 Um, I, I'm listening to a podcast. I happen to pause it and there are 52 minutes left in the podcast, things like that. So I see 52 a lot. Um,
0: and I like that because it's not, uh, I think we often think of numbers as sort of the angel numbers, the eleven, eleven; the two, two, two the four, four, four is the five, 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 but this really is unique. So I think this is going to open people's minds up and they're going to be like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, (laughs) I've been, I've been getting these signs and not paying attention to them.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I've always noticed when things are my birth date, like two eighteen. So when the, the time is two eighteen or I see two eighteen, um, you know, that's special. When I made the book trailer for our book, it ended up being without my manipulating it, two minutes and eighteen seconds. So that mm. was very cool too. Um, but the fifty twos do do come in lots of very cool ways. And I feel like that's just her saying, I'm here, she's playing with me. Um it's, it's like her way of communicating and saying I'm around. And so I don't necessarily take it as, oh, I'm supposed to be waiting for, you know, something big to happen every time I see one. It's, it feels like like a volley between us. Mm-hmm. Like she's like passing me a 52 and I smile every time. I'm like, you know, thinking of her. Um, another really cool one was um, I had an, a reading where I was told that one of the things my mom was doing in terms of signs was sending me signs through song lyrics. And I hadn't thought about it because I didn't really feel like I got signs through song lyrics. But um, after that reading, I got in the car, turned on the car, and the radio was on the 70s station. And it was a song I'd never heard before, but it was the very end. And the last three words of the song were devoted to you. (laughs) I was like, okay, that was my mom (laughs) telling me She's devoted to me. I Mm -hmm. just totally got that. Um, And another really interesting thing about song lyrics was when my mom, on my mom's last day, and I talk about this in the book, uh, I played a lot of music for her because I thought it would make her happy. Um, And one of the songs that we both loved is a song called Hello, It's Me. It's from the 70s by Todd Rundgren. And I just loved the song, and I didn't really think about the lyrics until I realized how often that song, when it comes into my mind, it makes me think of her because I played it probably six different times during the day, my mom, my mom's last day. Hello, it's me. Mm-hmm. And part of those lyrics are, um, uh, I'll come around to see you once in a while. And if I ever need a reason to smile, and you know, so things that, like, I didn't think about when I love that song, but that song has become sort of our song, and then it dawned on me. Some of the lyrics are really powerful. Um, and there's a lot more, but I know you probably don't have a lot of time for that, but I have a whole journal full since, uh, I mean, it's going to be a year, September 15th, but I've been keeping a journal, and sometimes I don't even write them down because it's like, oh, my gosh, another one of those, another one of those. Mm-hmm. But um you know, even yes, yesterday, there was a really cool one. Can I share just one more? Absolutely. Of okay. course. People okay. love to hear this. Okay. Um, my mom loved to shop. And one of the things that made her really happy during the time that she wasn't super happy in her life was to shop online. And so um, she bought a lot of shoes and clothes. And, <laughs> um, and we always would like send each other screenshots of things and say, how cute is this? Well, anyway, um, he just gotten some cute new tennis shoes um, and they're a pattern and they're cute. And I was sharing with my, my dear friend, Lori, who is who is my accountability partner actually in writing this memoir. And we we text every day. We text gratitude to each other every day. And um, I shared with her, I said, oh, you know, and I found these new shoes and I'm so excited about them. And I sent her a screenshot. And as I did it, I thought, if my mom were here, this is what I would be doing with her. And she would love them and she would want them. This is what would happen. And so Lori texted me back, adorbs. And I went, that's what my mom would always say. She'd Mm -hmm. say adorbs. And I would tease her about it. I'm like, what are you, a teenager? Where did you get that? Right. (laughs) Because I I never said the word adorbs, but my mom picked it up and loved it. And she'd say adorbs. And so I said to Lori, oh my gosh, that's exactly what Brie would have said. And she texted me back. She said, I feel electricity through my whole body right now. I have never used that word before. Mm. And I said, Mm -hmm. it was Brie. And she's like, it was. My whole body is tingling right now from it. And so things like that where I think because I'm so open to receiving and because I believe 100% that my mom is accessible to me, that her presence is there, that she plays with me with song lyrics, with with numbers. Uh, There have been other things too, but it's like I'm so open to – you know, oh, it's you, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not like she's trying really hard to say, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. I wish you could hear me. I know it. So it's made our relationship just feel like a continuation, just in a different way. And at least Mm -hmm. that's how I have chosen to see it. And I feel like that's partly why I get so many signs because my mom's not you know, thinking, oh, well, she thinks I'm gone. I guess I might as well move on to another <laughs> another level of right. the spiritual realm or she whatever. She doesn't need me anymore. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so, you know, everybody's soul trajectory is different. I'm not saying that that's the way to keep your loved one close to you. I certainly don't have any hard and fast rules about anything, but I can just speak to what has been our experience. And, um, you know, like I said, I finished writing the book um, – in January, wrote it very quickly, just six weeks after my mom transitioned. And so the book ends before I start having really a lot of this happen. Um, So none of this is documented in the book, but I I might have to write another book at some point about the ongoing relationship because it has been very special. And, And I think it's very special for her and and it's been confirmed through Susan too. She's, you know, I've said, "Am I? Are these just coincidences?" Sometimes she's like, "Stop it! Stop it! No, every single sign you get is legitimate. You don't need to validate them. Um, they they are meant for you." So, so, um, so, yeah. So, I'm gonna open it up for for some questions because
0: I'm sure mm-hmm. my audience, some people might want to come up. We're live on Fireside right now, so if people want to come up, ask questions. But Stacy, where can my guests find you and find your my, my listeners, sorry, find you and find your book if they're interested in learning more about you.
1: Oh, thank you for, for asking that. Um, my author website is Stacyaronson.com and that's Stacy with an E-Y and Aronson with a double A. Um, everything is there, um, all the links to buy the book at all the usual places. Plus, if you want to order a signed copy directly from me, you can do that from my website. I have a lot of media. I've written a lot of articles around this topic for different um, media outlets. Those are all there. Um, there's a whole photo gallery of us, if you're curious. Um, so that's where people can either reach out to me or find out about the book. So if anybody has any questions or wants to come up and ask Stacy or myself
0: a question or two, I'll just, mm-hmm. just go ahead and ask. <laughs> ask to, um, feel free. Uh, We'll just wait a minute or two and see. Sure. Oh, Lily, hi, Lily. Ah. Okay. Hi, hi, Lily. Lily. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a minute for people to unmute and for the unmute gotcha. to kick in.
2: I wonder. Is this what happened? Oh, there we go. Hi, Lily. <laughs> Hi. Um. Well, I, I just um, managed to come in a bit late, but wow, again, what you're discussing here and, you know, it's really magical. And um, I'm happy to be hearing your experience. And I, I've experienced a lot of this over the past year. And, um, you know, just with how you even mentioned the day of your mom's death. And, you know, you don't, some things you don't realize right away, or you might sense there's some meaning, you know, and then how it just all really, you know, it, it brings you comfort. And, um, so I will definitely be looking for your books. I think, you know, I, I need a lot more of this now. And I like how you, I think you noted your journaling. And you know, I started doing some of that, so I think that'll help. So, um, okay. lovely conversation. Um, thanks again, Amy. Um, all these topics really, really resonate. Aww, thank, thank you, you
0: thank you. And I, I'm I'm touched that you were so touched by Stacy's story. I got mm-hmm. to read Stacy's story before, so I usually can get like the tears out usually <laughs> before before <laughs> before the conversation, but. John, uh, I know you can't. You said you can't um, ask questions, but if you want to put a question in the chat, go ahead, and I can I can ask it because I finally learned how to use the chat feature <laughs> on here. If anybody else has any questions or wants to come up on stage and just talk about what you heard on the show or what resonated with you, I'm happy to have you on. A few new people just joined, so um, oh, nice. Yeah, they caught the tail end, but Cut we'll send tail. it out. We'll send it out and it will still be everywhere. You can get your podcast as well. So Great. anybody else want to come up and ask anything? John, let's see. Nope. Okay. All right. Well, thank you all for tuning in today. Thank you for listening. Oh, PJ just hopped in. Um, hi, PJ. You can wave to me. Um If no one has any other questions or anything, I guess we will wrap this up. So Stacy, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for sharing your beautiful story. Uh, its was super powerful and meaningful, and I think gives so much hope to so many people who when their loved one dies, still want to know or feel like that presence is still there for them. So thank you.
1: Well, thank you, Amy. I, c- I can't thank you enough for having me on your platform. I have so much admiration for you and you. being here has meant the world to me. And I, I do hope people can take some hope away. And there's there's a lot more in the book about experiences we shared and things that happened during those final days. So if, if people read it, I hope they get some some hope from that as mm-hmm. well.
0: I think they definitely will. So thanks, Stacey. All right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. And I am on again, I think, next Monday and next Thursday with two more episodes. So tune in and we will see you then. (laughs) Thanks, Stacey. Thank you. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means?